All right. So let's just do a quick recap. If you're newer visiting, we are in Second Thessalonians. We're working through that book. And uh, we're in chapter 2 right now, getting ready to head into chapter 3. Let's um, do a recap here of where we've been. Paul is talking to the Thessalonican church, and he's encouraging them to stand firm uh, in the midst of all the stuff that they're facing. And he's written, and the word there is to fortify them or strengthen them, that they would hold their ground uh, because they are suffering persecutions. It, it says it calls them afflictions. And afflictions can be mental, certainly uh, emotional, but they also can be physical. He also says to them, uh, "You're doing better than you think. The end hasn't come yet, uh, because the rebellion hasn't happened, which is the apostasy of the church, and the man of lawlessness has not been revealed." So he's saying, as um, you're there, you're tracking. Look for these things, and in the midst of that, he talks about the kind of things that are going to happen during the day of the Lord. And we've gone through that. You can download, go to our website, download the messages and and pick up from there if you want. And then lastly, the exhortation. What he's saying is I'm saying all of this to you so that you would stand firm. And the question this morning is, how do you stand firm in the midst of persecution? How do you stand firm when things really go bad, really go sideways? And uh, it's no longer comfortable. It's no longer convenient. Matter of fact, it's painful and costly. We've sung songs about it this morning, beautifully read. We're going to look at what Paul says this morning. So join me in prayer, would you? Father, as we stand here, we know some people who have gone through that kind of affliction. And it's Memorial Day, and we're thinking of those who've lost loved ones. That affects moms and dads. It affects wives and husbands, children, grandparents, uncles, nieces, aunts, you just name it. There's a lot of people who will tomorrow with sorrow kneel over a gravesite, dearly, dearly missing a loved one. And Father, as we um, think about that, that's a uh, fantastic crossover to the cost that sometimes it entails of being a believer. We, by your mercy, have avoided much of that in this country, but the rest of the world hasn't. And Lord, Uh, We seek you for uh, the wisdom to know what to do if the tide should turn against us. And we look to what you uh, inspired Paul to write uh, through your spirit. And we ask that that might galvanize our thinking uh, for the future. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Let's uh, begin in 2 Thessalonians. We'll be right at the end of the chapter, the first two verses. And it it reads like this. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. First thing I want you to notice is, notice the titles there. And notice the order of the titles. It says, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. There's so much talk on the street these days. Jesus says, what well, not God never pretended to be God? That all got wrote in after and uh, this kind of stuff. Notice the phrasing of how Paul wrote this in the first century. It is Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father. If Jesus had never claimed to be God, this would have been high blasphemy and Paul would have been stoned to death. Every person there, and matter of fact, the Jews did do that to him, right? because they rejected the claim of Jesus being Christ. And outside of Laodicea, he got stoned. They thought he was dead. And he walked back into the city, 
which that would have been interesting to watch the film of that, right? But Paul takes these titles and and notice that the order is different than we would have done it. We would have said uh, God our Father, right? And the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul inverts it to make very clear the point that Jesus is God. That he is not just a prophet or a good teacher or a good man or a good thing. It is, he is God himself. And so when he's looking at this, he's using that uh, to exhort the, the Thessalonians that who they had put their trust in will not fail them. That's why he ordered it that way. Look at who you're looking to. Just like we looked, uh, that black video was so awesome and it highlighted everything that I wanted to talk about this morning. They're tied together. Jesus is placed before the Father. And after this, all the pronouns that are used in this are uh, singular in title. So it's to be taken as God expressing himself through the Trinity, not as different gods. And uh, I just want you to notice that point. I think it's important. But it goes on to say, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, who loves us, in times of persecution, Paul always goes back to remind those that he was writing to, that Jesus had already paid a greater price. Yes, I know what you're going through is tough, but look to him. Yes, I know it's very difficult, but look what he went through. Yes, I know it's hard to keep your faith, but look at how he stood. Right? He always points them back. I've called that first base. He always points them back to Jesus, insinuating that Jesus has modeled for us how we should handle when we go through persecution. That's what he's pointing the Thessalonians back to. In um, the verse here, it says that uh, eternal comfort, in NIV it would say eternal encouragement, right? Comfort, encouragement kind of go hand in hand with each other and uh, uh, are part and parcel of each other. And then it talks about grace. Look in this passage again. It says, He gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. In other words, if grace is dispensed to us, two things happen when we're going through troubling time. One is comfort and the other one is hope. How does that happen? Well, I want to look at that a little bit this morning. Because grace is the source of comfort, of hope, and also this standing firm that Paul's talking about. How to stand firm in the midst of persecution. Let's take a, a look at that phrase, eternal comfort. Uh, In NIV, it's called encouragement. And I'm taking this again from Harold Fickett's book. He does it so well. It's known use recreating the wheel. But uh, when he's talking about comfort here, this is a word you probably recognize it. It's sort of familiar to us. Paraclesia. And you go, why? Where have I heard that word before? Why do I understand it? Paul is saying paraclesia is our source of comfort. If you pull the word apart, para is for And uh, kaleo is to call. In other words, to call somebody. The root word that you're familiar with is this, the paraclete. Right? To call somebody. And what it means is we understand it. It makes great sense. It says one called or sent to assist for another. For example, if I'm in a medical crisis, I call 911. And when I call 911, I am looking for someone to come alongside and assist me and help me in the crisis that I'm, that I'm in. When you are calling 911, you do not want somebody showing up saying, hey, this is my first time and we forgot the kit, but I think I remember what to do. 
right? You want somebody who walks in and goes, okay, that, get that, 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 we'll do everything we can, get in here, right? You want somebody who knows what they're doing. And what Paul is saying is this comforter, this paraclete, is the helper who knows how to help us when we face persecution, when we go through afflictions. It's the idea of one present uh, to, that rends beneficial service. So I use the health crisis. If I'm in a financial crisis, I would go to a financial counselor or I would go to a banker and say, look, I, I can't figure this out. I'm in trouble. Could you help me figure out how to get this straightened out? Now, you may not like the answers they give you, right? You may not like the way they order it for you, but you recognize they're giving you a way to plan how to get through something so you can get out of the crisis that you're in. That's very true of God. Have you ever noticed a lot of times when you ask him for help, he says, yes, I'll help you, and here's how we're going to do it. And you go, that is not how I prayed. I did not pray that way. I prayed that you do it this way. Yes, I know, but this is how we have to go. Am I the only one that's happened to? Right? What? Yes. <laughs> right? It kind of goes like this. When God comes to help, he has a plan and he expects us to follow the plan because he expects us to appreciate the fact that he knows where the end from the beginning is and he can get us where we got to go, even if it doesn't look like that's the way it's supposed to happen. And Paul's saying that to the Thessalonians because remember the whole thing about First and Second Thessalonians, got to get that word out. The whole reason for that is that the Christian life had not gone the way they thought. They had accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and the next thing they knew, all hell had broken loose. Paul and Timothy and Silas barely got out of town with their life. They were left there. They were in afflictions and persecution, and then there was all this distorted teaching and stuff, and they were all upside down. This was not the way they thought it was supposed to happen, and so they were in distress. And Paul's saying, slow down, trust him. He is your source of grace. Stand firm. And I think that's really true for us. There can be things that hit us that we had not anticipated. And what Paul is saying is that he would give a paraclete, a comforter that would come. John says this in John chapter 14. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That word helper right there is paraclete to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. How would we know that? Because when we become saved, God witnesses that we're his children. When he witnesses that we're his children, then he tells us that he will send us help through his spirit, that grace will be given by his spirit. By the way, very important when we're talking about the Holy Spirit to recognize grace is not this word that just floats out there and you, you know, if, if you want a little grace, you, you kind of go to McDonald's and buy $3 of grace. But if you want big grace, you know, you go to Albertsons, buy a big box of grace and kind of, it, it's not the idea. Grace comes from a source. And the source that it comes from is the Holy Spirit. And Paul is talking about this grace that will be available for them. Jesus talks about it as God sending a helper. And we need that helper. So the context, if you go back to the Thessalonian church, or even as Jesus is talking here in John, the context is, if you read a little farther in John there in 15, 16, and 17, it says the world would hate Jesus. And therefore, they would hate those who followed him. 
But God would give a helper, one who would encourage or comfort in the midst of persecution and trials and also lead us in truth. And you see this tie all over Scripture that God says when you go through something, he will add a greater grace uh, to the situation. Many times when people have someone pass as a family, I'll sign a note, may God add his greater grace in the weeks and months ahead. Because the idea there is God will supply to you at the moment what you didn't need before. Does that make sense? He will supply in the moment what you didn't need before. And we, I want to take a look at that uh, together with you. There's two extremes when it comes to talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And you've, you've heard these, but I want to be really clear on these. The first is this attitude. We have the Word of God, and therefore we don't need the Holy Spirit. We don't want all that foo-foo, wacko stuff, and we don't want to go crazy over the top. And, and be barking in the spirit and acting like we're drunk and that kind of stuff. So we don't need that. We have the word. The word is our guide. We'll hang on to the word and we don't need the Holy Spirit. All right, time out for a second. May I ask the question this morning, who wrote the word of God? Wasn't it the Holy Spirit? I mean, wasn't the Holy Spirit the one who inspired the writers? So like if the writers hadn't been inspired, would there be a Bible that we understand? To say that is ridiculous, and it's crazy, and it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. The Spirit is the author of the Word of God. So to say we need this, the, we have the Bible, but we don't need the author of the Bible is a paramount to insanity because the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates the Word. He's the one who brings revelation to the Word. He's the one who lights it up. You know when you're having your quiet time, right? And you go, whoa, Right? Never saw that before. Where was that? I've read that. Hot wall. Right? You ever had one of those? I get those. That's the Holy Spirit going, oh, by the way, you've had a great time the last 30 years. Here's one just because you think you're so smart. Whoa. Had never seen that before. Right? And I know I've read it a couple hundred times. So... To say, can you get the point there? I'm going, that, that's an overreaction extreme. The other reaction extreme is we have the Spirit, therefore we don't need the boundaries or the constraints of Scripture. The attitude there is, hey, we're not hung up by the Word. God's doing a new work, brother. Right? And so the Holy Spirit's just going to launch into all kinds of crazy things that have nothing to do with the Word or any parallels or anchoring in the Word at all. That's not true. That's just as crazy. Right? The Holy Spirit is the author of the word. So why would the Holy Spirit launch out and do all kinds of crazy things that don't parallel the word that he authored? The truth is it's in balance. The Spirit wrote the word and the word tells us about the Spirit and that all points back towards Jesus. And in times of persecution, you know, the the grace can be kind of a head trip word, right? Uh, and, And the Holy Spirit can kind of be a head trip word until you go through persecution. And what do you do when they've stripped your Bible from you? What do you do when you're in a jail cell? And what do you do when they're hanging upside, you're hanging upside down, they're whipping you? At that point, you can't say, stop, please. I'd like to open a John 14. Let me read it. I'll tell you what it says. You don't have that option. At that point, you only have the option of grace. And the only option of grace is for the Holy Spirit to give you what you need at that moment. Now, we're talking in the context of persecution, but isn't that true of life right now? 
How many hundreds of times has he given what you needed at the moment and you didn't even know you needed it? A word for a friend? How many times have you said something went, man, I should take notes on myself. That's brilliant. Right? That comes from God's enabling grace through his spirit. And we need that. And if we're going to head into hard times, we're going to need that more. The Thessalonians needed it in a way they hadn't needed it before for the simple reason they hadn't known Jesus before. They went from knowing Jesus right into persecution. So that was the context Paul was talking to. I think it's much harder when you've had it good for a long time, you've gotten soft, fat, and lazy emotionally, and then suddenly it gets hard. It's really tough to re-ratchet down, right? Those of us who've tried to lose weight know that battle. Those of us who tried to financially get back on top, right? It's really tough to re-rein it back in, and God gives that grace when he's doing that. These verses are in the context of persecution and affliction. And the question I want you to ponder is, who does he send when God comforts his people? Right? If we say, well, we don't need the Holy Spirit, all right, fine. Who does he send then when he comforts his people? And I want to suggest that it's the Holy Spirit. Look at, I want to show you some verses that normally you probably understand them as verses that are used at a funeral. And I myself have used them at funerals uh, often. Um, but it's not actually a funeral passage. To do a good funeral, you've got to clip half of these verses off when you read them at a funeral because uh, the context is different. The context is actually a context of persecution and affliction. Let me show them to you and read them with you and ponder these. This is out of 2 Corinthians, Paul writing to another group that's experiencing trauma. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, Paul says, I can comfort you in your affliction and persecution because God has comforted me. Let me pass on to you what God has passed on to me. Let me encourage you that way. For as we share abundantly in, and here's the key phrase, Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure. And again, here's the phrase, the same sufferings that we suffer. Why can I talk to you about this? Because you're going through the same thing I have to go through. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And so Paul says, when you go through persecution and affliction, God brings comfort or encouragement in ways that it hadn't been brought before. He will give us what we need. And that's what we have to anticipate. Not only does he give comfort, but God the Father brings us, uh, through his Holy Spirit, he also gives us hope. This passage in 2 Corinthians is one of the most hopeful passages in the entire New Testament. That's why it's right at funerals. It gives great hope. But it's hope in the midst of persecution. How can people who are persecuted have hope? Well, they have hope because God has spoken something into their hearts that hasn't been there before, and they suddenly realize they can stand when they never thought they could stand. That they're not buckling like they thought they would buckle. 
And they're actually being very solid and like, wow, how did I say that? How did I do that? How did I? I have no idea. God must have helped me. Right? That's what Paul's talking about. Romans uh, 15 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. NIV would say, as you trust in him. Believing, trust, right? Anchored down, landing on it. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound. Uh, NIV says that you may overflow. Right? Spring a well coming up. Where we hear that before? John chapter 4. In other words, the idea that God isn't limited by the amount of grace that he can give you. It isn't that we have a certain amount of grace. That's all we get. And then you go into hard times and, well, too bad it's not adequate, but that's all you get. That's how we uh, often approach uh, the Holy Spirit is, uh, I'm saved, I've experienced you once, and that's all I get. Uh, the other way, if you're more charismatic circles, I'm saved and I'm baptized in the Spirit, and that's the great blessing, and then that's all I get. Scripture says we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit constantly, right? For every circumstance we face, and that when we face new circumstances, trying circumstances, that suddenly a grace is given to us that we never had before. Just hit a major illness once. Go to the doctor and find out you got cancer. And watch your prayer times change and watch grace change. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's coming to comfort you and to help you and encourage you in ways you never had before. Right? And Paul is applying this to the Thessalonian church in terms of their facing their persecution. So the question this morning that I have for us as we stand here is, how will we face persecution? I think it's a valid question. How will we face persecution? And I want to suggest that we will go through persecution just like every generation before us has gone through persecution. We will go through it with the comfort and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. God did not bring his people this far to kill him. You're going, well, Mitch, if you're in persecution, you end up getting killed. How does that match? Well, we're talking about eternal life here, not the present life. He will take us through all the types of tragedies and all the types of things that happen when we go through persecution. By the, we will get through it by the help, the comfort, the steadfastness, and the truth given under and by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has always talked to his people in times of persecution. Many of you would, are old enough to remember the Cold War and to remember uh, Russia in the time when you used to smuggle Bibles in and when uh, believers were viciously and brutally persecuted. And some of the most amazing stories that came out of that era in terms of how believers uh, stood uh, one of the famous guys is Richard Wormbrand, if you remember that name. If you don't know that name, look up that name. Read his autobiography. You want to talk about somebody who stood under the guidance and steadfastness of the Holy Spirit. This guy did it in nails. There, and we're familiar with those kind of stories. And we ask ourselves, how did those people do that? Were they just exceptional people? No, most of them, very poor people. Didn't have great theological training. Many of them had very limited access to Scripture. How could they know Scriptures 
that they never read before because they knew the guy who wrote the scriptures. Does that make sense? And therefore, the, the relationship with the Holy Spirit is indispensable when we think about going through persecutions and sufferings and hard times. That was Paul's truth to the Thessalonians. And I want to suggest this is Jesus' truth for us today. When we come to that then, I want to jump back on my bandwagon because Paul has it right here. I want to talk about the necessity, the power and priority of prayer. Husbands, are you praying with your wives? You're saying, no, there's things in the way. God says, okay, if you won't pray with your wives and those little things are in the way, I'll bring some big things in the way. Then maybe you'll be led to pray. The necessity of praying together is the lifeblood of the church. Paul says explicitly here, finally, brothers, after I've, I've written everything I have in the first two books to you, pray for us. Pray that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. In this, Paul is praying a couple things. Number one, he's praying that the gospel would speed ahead. Speed ahead. Isn't that a strange term? I mean, if you look at Mill Creek, it feels like the gospel's in neutral, if not reverse. Right? It just feels like it's going nowhere. What's one way you could pray this week? God, would you add momentum to your gospel in Mill Creek this week? Would you move it ahead? Would you step it farther than where it's been? We know you're having conversations with people. We just don't know who. And we don't know who to connect with. Could you move your gospel ahead? Could you speed it up? Secondly, that it would be honored. Uh, The gospel is mostly ignored today in America. Entertainment has taken over and is king. And... um, Stadiums are full. Churches are empty. And so it, it, not only is it uh, ignored, but it's really blasphemed, right? It is uh, scoffed at. It is mocked. It is ridiculed. God, would you bring honor to your gospel? That's not too hard to pray. God, would you um, this week, when people are sharing, would, would your word be lifted up? Would it be held high? Remember that prayer? That was a prayer. You heard those, that language back in the... 50s and 60s. God, would your word be lifted up? That's what they were talking about. Would it be back? You know, when you take a book and the idea is if you've got a book like this and you're talking, God, would your word be lifted up? It's lifted back up in my sight. Oh, I have to look at it. That's what that prayer is talking about. God, would you speed your gospel ahead? Would your word be honored? But then the third one is Paul says, pray for me and pray for these, my associates in the church that we would be protected from evil men. You go, wow, wow, how do I do that? That's difficult. There's lots of forms of evil, and I wouldn't even know how to start a prayer like that. I have a very simple solution to that. It sounds like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And when you think about evil, Satan's whole job is to rob from you the confidence that you have in Christ and his resurrection and his saving ability for your soul and your family's soul. 
And he's really good at it. He, he works hard at it. He's got all kinds of schemes and strategies. And uh, he can knock believers sideways. I mean, I'm pretty good with the word. A lot of you have word sword with me. And, you know, uh, I think I got it pretty good. But I found I can be knocked off base like that. Okay? And I know if that's true of me, I know that's also true of you. You know, Satan is really good at knocking people off their game when it comes to faith. He knocked Adam and Eve off their game. He knocked Cain off his game, right? Made that a mess. He knocked Moses off his game, right? He's really good at that. He knocked Samson off his game. He knocked Saul off his game. Took David, knocked him off his game. And he knocked Peter off his game. I mean, here's one of the inner three disciples. And it says when he denied Jesus, he denied it with cursing and swearing. We tamed that down so bad. If we could play that on the screen, we'd cover our kids' ears. Okay? He wasn't just mumble-jumbling there. He was scared to death. And in total fear and panic, he resorted to his old life and did exactly opposite of what he knew to do and exactly opposite of what he wanted to do. You ever done that? Under pressure? Pressure can make people crack. We looked at that last week. How do you stand firm? Well, you have to, my mentor, Jan Hedding, I said, what you have to do is take the fear and replace it with the greater fear. Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill your body. Fear the one who can throw both your body and soul into hell. Who's that? That's God Almighty. That's the God we saw on the screen this morning. That dude who can't be run against. It says, if you're afraid of the stuff down here, then you re-anchor in the greater fear and let the greater fear inform you about the lesser fears. Don't let the lesser fears inform you about the greater fear. And that's what Paul's doing here with the Thessalonian church. He's saying, I know there's evil, and I know you're under, under severe pressure and affliction. Keep your eyes on Christ. And he says this, We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things we command you. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. What's he doing? Turning them back to first base. Right? We can get too far extended and we can be trying to run second, third base in the Christian life and getting way ahead of ourselves. And the truth is half the time we have to go back to first base. What's first base? Redirect our hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Doesn't the Holy Spirit always point you back towards Jesus? Hey, you should spend some time in the Word. You know, this would be a good moment to pray. This would be, you should lift your friend up. You know, you should call your friend. You should text your friend. You should uh, run over, go see your... The Holy Spirit bumps, but he's bumping it back towards, may he direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. What's that? Jesus' example for us. In persecution and affliction, what Scripture's trying to say is this. God has not asked anything from us. He hasn't first done himself. He's saying, I know it's hard, but look to Jesus' example. Look to his steadfastness. Look how he leaned into the Father. Look at how he obeyed the Holy Spirit and do likewise. Obey the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, pray for this. Pray that the gospel is sped ahead. Pray that it would be honored and pray that we would be protected from evil people. We can do that this week. We can pray that the gospel moves ahead right? It would be nice if it's going more than two miles an hour in Mill Creek. That would be great, right? I'd be happy. You know, sometimes on the freeway, you're happy with 30 miles an hour, okay? We could pray that way. 
And it, it's, it says that the, the word would be honored. We can pray that God's word would be honored this week. And we can pray that God will protect us from evil people who have all kinds of designs and schemes, not to just mess up the church, to eliminate the church. God, protect us from people who have wicked schemes. We can pray that way. And if we do, whether we suffer persecution or not, we will be able to stand because God will comfort us through his Holy Spirit. He will make us uh, give us hope through his Holy Spirit and he will make us steadfast in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray this morning. Father, I don't want these to just be words. Um, I want you to back them up. I want you to validate them because I think we have to be prepared and it's hard to coach people in things that aren't happening yet. And yet a number of us sense the groundswell in our own country. We uh, have concerns about the future of our country and uh, the state of the church itself. And we would come before you this morning and ask that if this is a true word, you would anchor it in our souls. And Lord, that we would look to you for a greater grace. We would look to you to give us from your spirit what we have not had before, that we might be a radiant uh, church, that we might be an overcoming church, and Lord, that we would suddenly have a strength and a wisdom and a hope that uh, would baffle non-believers. And we seek you for your gospel to move ahead, and we seek you for hope, and we seek you, Lord, that you'd protect us from people who have wicked schemes. We ask that in your name. Amen.